We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joining as always my co-host Nick Filato. Unfortunately, coming to you after a Giants opening day loss. Another one. It's been a common theme during the Dave Gettleman era. Really? Have, have the Giants won one game in Dave Gettleman's tenure yet? Nick? I'm trying one to remember. Game, I believe they one, won. No, one opening game. Sorry, one opening game. <laughs> one opening game? Yeah. I don't believe so, no. I think, yeah, I think it's been a, a common theme. We wanted to have better news for you, obviously. This is a tough one to find positives in. The Giants were blown out. I mean, they scored a late touchdown. The stats end up looking okay for some of the offensive players, but really... I wouldn't take much away from that. The Giants had two drives late that padded stats, both for Jones, Galladay, even a little bit more for Shepard, just pure pad stat patters down 27-7. When it actually mattered in the red zone, the Giants turned the ball over on downs, and that was effectively the game. We'll get into a lot of why the Giants struggled in this game. For a while, the Giants were competitive. For a full half of football, the Giants were competitive until the end. A ballsy decision by Vic Fangio, who made two really good calls in this game, in addition to everything he showed on defense. Great in the red zone, as he was last year as a coordinator. Great on third downs, as he was last year as a coordinator. But it was those two fourth down decisions, ballsy decisions, not playing to lose, playing to win, that gave the Broncos this win, in my mind. Obviously, in addition to a lot of other factors we'll get into, but the Giants went into half, Nick, 10-7. They were in this ball game. They were leading for a good portion of that first half until they gave up that fourth down. I would say there are multiple turning points in this game, Nick. Let me first ask you by ask. Uh, let's first turn it to you though. What was your key turning point in this game? The key turning point for me in this game, there was a lot, man, because yes, the giants were down 10, seven at halftime, but it could have been so much worse. I mean, Logan Ryan punched the ball out of Albert O's hand. And you also had KJ Hamler drop like a wide open, touchdown as well but I mean when the offense comes down when the Broncos offense comes down the field and leads a 16 play 75 yard drive down your defense's throat that's capped off by a fourth and one touchdown to Alberto I mean that's when I was like oh okay this is this is not going to be good whatsoever yeah I mean that was a turning point for me I think there's three key turning points that was one of them the other one for me was when the Giants forced the fumble on Albert O in the red zone. It was a momentum swing, an incredible play by Logan Ryan. I actually think the Giants got away with one there. You talked about the dropped open touchdown to KJ Hamler. That was the Giants getting away with one. 
This play, I think the Giants also got away with one as well. To me, he's not sure he had full possession until he was out of bounds, but they ruled it a fumble recovered by Ryan. He's done this before. Love to see it. He did it against Washington football team last year. He did it again this game. Should have been a momentum swing. But what the Giants did is they came out, they ran the ball, obvious rundown right up the middle, just clear clear as day that someone like Garrett will not take a shot there. And I understand people who say you don't want to take a sack in the end zone there. You don't want to turn it back over. But playing like that, you can't win football games. You can't play to lose. There are ways to design plays that aren't a huge risk as far as sacks or interceptions go, but also give you a chance to move the football for gains. Running the ball up the middle into a stack box followed by a PA fullback flat followed by the worst play call of the game, a nightmare call by Garrett on third and long to run that quick that quick, that quick, quick stick out. To, I think it was Rudolph who, my God, does, did Rudolph look bad in this game. I haven't seen a Giants player come out in week one and look so unhealthy in a long time. I think he was played due to being forced to play because Ingram obviously was out for this game. The Giants don't have tight end depth. They don't trust Caden Smith for whatever reason in that role. But my God, did Rudolph look bad in this game, Nick? And on that play, it was there was no chance of him converting. And then, boom, you punt it right back. What happens? The Broncos then go on to score. That was the turning point for me. The second one was the one you mentioned. And the third one, obviously, Giants still had a chance to win this game. First down, Jones takes off with the football, puts it on the ground. Classic Daniel Jones, and it's fair to say that's classic Daniel Jones. The fumbles have been otherworldly through his first two and two game, uh, two years and one start. Otherworldly fumbles. No one fumbles at this rate, and a lot of them the Giants actually recovered. I'm not just including the ones that he's lost. That's on its own scale. And then the ones you combine with the ones he's lost and the ones the Giants have recovered, it's otherworldly stuff. It's it is what it is. But like I'm okay with someone who turns the ball over at this rate if they make more plays, Nick. But it's a turning point in a game like this when the way this team is set up right now is they want to win grinded out games. It's clear as day by the way that Jason Garrett calls this offense. And yet when you turn the ball over and grind it out style, it just it doesn't mesh up. There's no margin for error when you're calling a game like this. There's zero margin for error. And that to me was the third turning point. What, what did you make of either of those two uh, kind of moments for the Giants? A fumble was tragic because it's a 17 to 7 game and you're actually seeing some offense. It's something up to that point of the game we did not see. It was a 10 play, 60 yard drive. Jones scrambles, looks like it's going to be a pretty solid gain on a first and 10 play. And what happens? And you know what? And what happens? He fumbles the football, but you know what sucked too? You see him kind of brace for the contact. And I'm like, all yeah. right, Jones, look, he's really covering up the football. Somehow it still gets punched out. And then I just hear the collective sigh of Giants fans be like, what the heck, man? Because that was this kid's 30th fumble as a starting quarterback, man. Like, And that's there. almost one per game because he's missed games through the first two seasons. I think that actually probably is over one per game or around one per game. Yeah, he's missed multiple games in both seasons that he started. But then that seven-play, 57-yard drive that you were referencing before that came after the Giants three and out after they forced the fumble on Albert O., there was a third and eight play where Teddy Bridgewater found Jerry Judy and Blake Martinez made a really nice tackle to make to force a fourth and two at the New York Giants' 49-yard line. And freaking cojones, Vic Fangio ends up going for it, and obviously they end up converting on a freaking 17-yard pass to Jerry Judy. This defense was just getting carved up like crazy, man. There were so many, so much man coverage early on in the game, and the Giants didn't adjust that much until the until the Giants offense could mount a drive long enough to allow Patrick Graham to make some adjustments. And then you saw a lot more zone coverage. But I thought early on in that game, there was a lot of man coverage, and there was just a lot of just the Broncos tight ends defeating the Giants safeties. A lot of Broncos wide receivers, yep. Jerry Judy getting the best of James Bradbury. Darnay Holmes getting beat by Jerry Judy in the slot, something we talked about coming up to this game. I thought matchup-wise and man coverage, the Giants looked pretty bad on the defensive side, which was surprising because we've spoken so highly of the fact that Patrick Graham can employ man coverage at a more uh, successful rate, more than likely with the personnel that he has now that Isaac Yadam wasn't there, but that wasn't the case today. And I still think you can use man coverage, but I, I don't think it could be your predominant coverage, at least not from what we saw today. It really seemed like the safety struggled against those tight ends and the wide receivers in the slot and on the boundary were getting the best of a good secondary. Yeah, you're right. You nailed it. I mean, 
it's kind of a little bit reminiscent of that week one game last year against the Steelers where the Giants tried to run man. And they actually tried to run man even longer against the Steelers than they did in this one, in that week one game. And the Giants are a more competitive team somehow against a much better Steelers team than they were against, let's face it, this will be a middling at best Broncos team. The Giants got blown out at home by a middling at best Broncos team. Now, I don't think it's as much reason for alarm and it's not going to look as bad in about (laughs) 10 weeks from now, Nick, I'm actually a little bit more optimistic, I think, than I've seen most so far, because I think the schedule gets a lot easier and the Giants can grind out like seven to eight wins potentially. But when you get blown out by a middling Broncos team with Teddy Bridgewater as its quarterback at home, it's a rough look. And, and it was surprising to me that they weren't, that they were as uncompetitive as they were. The Melvin Gordon run was a disaster. I cannot believe it. Melvin Gordon has never been a long stride runner, even at Wisconsin when he ran for insane amount of yards. His ability to go zero to 60 is what made him stand out. He got caught from behind on a lot of run by Big Ten safeties and Big Ten corners who aren't very the fastest. And for him to just beat the Giants defense there, I thought that was an effort play. I thought the defense in a lot of ways gave up on that long touchdown run. I believe it was 70 yarder by Melvin Gordon. That was disappointing to see. I do think the defense will bounce back. I do think, like you mentioned, Patrick Graham will adjust like he did and adjust even better moving forward. But let's face it, Pat Shermer came in with a really good game plan. He executed it really, really well. As you mentioned, he found the matchups where they had an advantage. Noah Fant and the Broncos tight ends against the Giants safeties. They had an advantage, the Broncos. Ran it over and over and over again with releases off the line of scrimmage that created separation. He also found mismatches in the secondary. Somehow, Jerry Judy was awesome before he got hurt. Almost unstoppable. That third down play that they ran where it looked like Bridgewater found that hole in the zone. It was just a perfect call by Shermer against the defense that Graham put out there. I know someone on my Twitter is like, it's a busted coverage. I'll take a look at it again, but I think that was Pat Shermer getting the nod over Patrick Graham. This is not to say Patrick Graham's falling off. It's not to say I have any concerns about that. But today, Pat Shermer called a better game than Patrick Graham in this chess match between them. And it's quite obvious that Vic Fangio obviously outmaneuvered Jason Garrett. That goes without saying. Vic Fangio is a great coordinator regardless. But You know, the defense, we expected to be this dominant unit this year, Nick, but I'm not so sure, based on what I saw today, that I can expect that any further, or any longer, I should say. When you see Teddy Bridgewater, somebody who's been a, um, you know, lack lack of a better term, a glorified, I guess you could say, game manager, which has negative connotations and everything. But he's a solid quarterback. I think he's a respectable quarterback in the NFL, but he absolutely controlled the ball on the road in MetLife Stadium in front of all those Giants fans, first time in you know two years that the Giants have played in front of their fans at home, and just controlled the ball, running the football, slant flat, quick game, timing and rhythm type of routes. I mean, Dan, how many times did we see just a quick little three or four yard stick type of route or out route or a little quick uh, hook type of route from Fant or Albert O, and then Teddy Bridgewater would hit his back foot and fire the football, and right when he would fire the football is when Noah Fant was turning around and he would catch the football. It was all about timing and rhythm. It was almost as if these giant safeties couldn't even get themselves into position to knock the football away because the offense of the Broncos was in sync so well. And it's unfortunate, man, because it felt like early in the game, the Giants, they were holding up against the run. They weren't giving up a lot of big plays. And I think it was like the 60th something play that ended up being that 70 yard touchdown run by Melvin Gordon. I think you can attribute some of it to fatigue. Yep. At the end of the day, when you're just, being inefficient on third down and allowing every fourth down to convert, you're going to get got. And that's what ended up happening. And when you look at the final stats too, it's actually kind of frustrating. You see the final stats for like third down efficiency. The Broncos were seven to 15 and you're like, Oh, okay. The Giants were six of 12. So that's 50%. But a lot of those were down the stretch of the game. It seemed like anytime there was a big play where you needed this defense to step up, the defense wasn't there to step up. Yeah, and I throw out all of the Giants' offensive stats on third and long, or any of the stats really in this game because those last two drives are just they're trash drives. I mean, the Broncos are playing. In- it was ninety-five yards of full crap. Yeah. That's what it was. Ninety-five yeah. yards of guard. They'll pad the stats. It'll look good at the end of the year for all the players, and it'll look decent. You know, it'll make the overall stats look better for this game, but they're nothing. The Broncos were not playing to stop them. Their Vic Fangio knew what he was doing. He wanted the game over with. And the Giants, I mean, there was a point of this game where the Broncos had the ball 
for 30 of the first for you know, 30 for th- through three quarters the Broncos had the ball for two thirds of the game. That's an incredible stat right there. I mean, it was a little bit less, I believe. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at it now on ESPN, but like it's insane. It's insane for that to happen in a game like this. The Broncos were able to, like you said, just pick up yardage with ease in the passing game, not even so much in the run game. The Giants' run defense was great in the first half. Like you said, it tired out in the second half. That's fine. But in the first half, the Giants' run defense was great, and yet the passing game was able to pick apart him. And we saw so many uncharacteristic things from the secondary. We talked about how lucky the Giants got that KJ Hamler dropped that open touchdown that would have made the game even worse than what it already was. But we also talked all offseason about how the Giants had maybe one, two total, no, it was two total blown coverages, miscommunications in the secondary all of last season. Then week one, right away against Teddy Bridgewater's Broncos, you see a Dory Jackson think he has safety help over the top. He doesn't, and then he gives up the what should have been an open touchdown on that play. And so it just felt like a really weird, uncharacteristic game for the defense. But I do want to get your take on the pass rush, the Giants' pass rush. Very non-existent in this game. There's been a lot of talk on Twitter about it. I want to see, just from the broadcast angle, we'll obviously have to dive into the film, but what was your take on why the Giants lacked a pass rush? In the first half, I saw Graham try to dial up some defensive back blitzes pretty early and often, and, they, and it seemed like the Broncos did an excellent job with obviously one of the two elite offensive line coaches in the NFL and Mike Munchak in picking up those blitzes. I would like to see how long it took Teddy Bridgewater to get rid of the football because a lot of it, I think, was because Bridgewater was getting rid of the football very, very quickly, and the pass rush couldn't even get home because it seemed like Graham was sending five at times or at least sending four exotically like with a creeper whether that be logan ryan or darnay holmes and then dropping the end man on the line of scrimmage from the other side off into coverage to kind of manipulate the protection of the broncos but it just did not get home all that often i mean we had aziz ojalari get the sack and i believe austin johnson was the one who recorded the other one and i thought dexter lawrence was getting some solid push up front every time you got a chance to look. It seemed like Dexter Lawrence was getting underneath the pads of an offensive lineman, whether it be Cushionberry or Glasgow, and driving them backwards, but he wasn't able to get to that second move to shed to actually finish the play. That was primarily because Bridgewater was getting rid of the football, but also because the protection was holding up just enough. I mean, the Giants don't have a dynamic Chase Young type of pass rusher on this team. I think Lorenzo Carter and Aziz Ojolari, I think they'll be fine down the stretch of the year. Leonard Williams had a couple pressures in this game. But overall, I think it was just, you know, a credit tip of the cap to Teddy Bridgewater and Pat Shermer as to why this pass rush where it was dialed up sometimes with five-man pressure packages, why it was stifled. I think it's because the Broncos did a really quick and efficient job on offense. And it's amazing to me because for most of last season and a lot of today as well, the Giants operated in that exact same way on the flip side of the ball. They tried to operate a quick passing offense. And today we saw against what we felt is a very talented Giants defense, success with that strategy. And yet, how many times over the past season in one game have we seen that exact strategy from the Giants have no success? Bad timing from quarterback to receiver with Jones. Bad route combinations from Garrett. Bad situational play calling. I mean, we've seen it go poorly so many times. Like, yes, the Giants neutralized Chase Young last year, but they didn't move the ball in either of those two games very well, and they didn't score points in the red zone, and they didn't score points in general. Either of those Reds in Washington games, sorry. And so ultimately it's just crazy to me that this strategy has worked so poorly for the Giants and they've had so much practice at it because they basically called this style of offense all year. Today the Giants took one shot basically over the top the entire game. Took a couple nice shots off the play action at Galladay. Galladay made two ridiculously good catches on okay throws at best. They took the shot over the top to Slayton. They had a couple routes that were good. I mean, I want to get your take on Garrett now. I want to I want to flip it over, Nick, to kind of the big topic issues. Jason Garrett, Daniel Jones, and the offensive line, at least on the offensive side of the ball before we flip back to the defense. But before we do that, actually, let's take a quick break to your award from our sponsors. Giants football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, 
TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick.com and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com slash BANTER. If you use that today, you can save $10 on your first order of the Giants tickets that you desire. Please check that out. It's TickPick.com slash banter. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's hit the big ticket topic issues, whatever you want to call them. The big three for us, we've been saying it all offseason. This season will come down to the big three. Giants offensive line, Jason Garrett, Daniel Jones. I want to start with Jason Garrett. We've talked a little bit about what I found so frustrating in this game. I said it on Twitter. You know, watching that series of three and out after the Giants turned the ball over with Logan Ryan, forced fumble, I couldn't understand I couldn't understand anyone who would tell you the Giants shouldn't be fr- Giants fans shouldn't be frustrated with him as a coordinator but there were so many examples here of what I didn't like in this game of what I didn't like about Jason Garrett there was a series of plays later in the game where despite being down by a good amount the Giants found themselves in a second and two and they ran two they ran these two curls with Caden Smith and Evan uh, I'm sorry Kyle Rudolph who just again looked terrible in this game, in my opinion. I, I'm excited to see if I'm wrong. I'm hoping I'm wrong with the All-22, but I hated what I saw from him on the broadcast. And that, like I said during the offseason, was one of the scariest signings they made. They knew he was coming off the loose, Frank. They honored the contract anyway. No one really knows why. He's not a great blocker. I guess they want him to run the Y stick. It's a win-now type move from a team that may not be ready to win now. But we got to hope he gets better because they don't have any depth there. But those two stick routes on second and two, and then Saquon Barkley converted on third and two when uh, Bredersen and the offensive line kind of pushed him forward. But it was just such a good example to me, Nick, of why this offense is so frustrating to me. And I want to get your take on what you saw from Garrett in a second. But second and two, take a chance, man. And then later in the game, a similar situation, second and short, the Giants ran that crap stick stuff at the sticks, missed it. On third down, they did something you had been calling for all offseason, Nick. They put Bunch on the right side of the formation, and the Bunch created separation for Shepard, who was wide open, caught the pass, and made yards after the catch. It's like, it's mind-boggling what I'm watching on this team. But the last thing I want to get your take on is, why did we see no RPO in this game? Why did we see no zone redesign run game for Daniel Jones? If Daniel, like, you can't, just because he got injured doing it last year, just because he fumbled, you can't take that out of this offense. Because, no offense 
It says, fact of the matter, Daniel Jones is not proven to be a good enough drop back passer right now that you can't, that you can just completely take away his legs. He needs to be utilized as a runner as well on design zone read and design and run game. I'm pretty, I feel pretty strongly about that, Nick. I want to get your take on that and just Jason Garrett in general. I 100% agree with the fact that the Giants need to implement a lot more RPO. It's something that Daniel Jones had success with at Duke and more zone read because it's going to eliminate that backside defender because if that backside defender, as we saw so much last year, decides to pursue Saquon Barkley and try to tackle him, then guess what? Daniel Jones is going to keep it and run right and replace where that defender was at the end of the line of scrimmage. It just puts that defender in conflict and whatever choice that defender makes, you run a different offensive play off that. It's a really, really well-designed type of play. And yes, it puts your quarterback into a position where he could be injured, but you can't be calling football plays to, to try to mitigate the risk of injury all the time, especially when your team struggles to sustain offense. So I want to see more zone read and I definitely want to see more RPO. And I think it could be, just that much more dangerous with Saquon Barkley. Overall, with Jason Garrett, man, I mean, I really would like to watch the All-22 before really weighing in to see what the back end of the defense is doing. Overall, we kind of know who Jason Garrett is. We get his philosophy. It's much more conservative. It's much more three plays to get 10 yards rather than kind of hitting big shot plays, maximizing yards after catch. That's why we get so many curl routes, so many stick routes, so many routes that don't maximize yards after the catch. And it's frustrating, but I do want to get to the All-22. And for all of our new listeners who didn't listen to us last year, what we do on this podcast is we do this. This is our initial breakdown, our immediate reaction to the game that we witnessed that comes out Sunday night, early Monday morning. And then whenever the All-22 drops, which I have to add this caveat, it's been a problem with Game Pass has not added All-22 for a while, but supposedly it is coming back. Dan and I dive deep into the All-22 tape, which is the coach's film And then we give our feedback as to what is actually happening on the field from a schematic standpoint. And once we get that, we can give probably a much better assessment as to why Jason Garrett struggled or what what might he have seen to call certain plays. But overall, we've been bashing this philosophy for how long, Dan? And we know this philosophy is an issue and it didn't seem to deviate from the from the, from the 2020 offense that we saw. It was still very, very similar. And they wanted to get Kadarius Tony involved. They said he was going to be heavily involved. We saw two plays of him. We saw a little touch pass, which is somewhat of a novelty with Jason Garrett. It wasn't an end around. It was a little touch pass. But guess what? They left Von Miller unblocked as like a read defender where Kyle Rudolph just kind of chipped him and climbed to the linebacker on the second level to the boundary where there wasn't a lot of space. And Von Miller tackled Kadarius Tony for a loss of significant yardage, which stifled that drive. So I don't even think that was a smart way to implement a player that has hardly been with you in training camp. And so, you know, and then Kenny Galladay, he's knocking off the rust. I think Kenny Galladay is going to be fine. He made a couple plays down the stretch of the, down the stretch of the game. Overall, I don't know if we're ever going to be pleased with Jason Garrett, Dan. I I really don't because I don't think that philosophy, that conservative nature is ever going to change, especially if he's not going to implement the legs of Daniel Jones, which is one of his best assets as an athlete. Yeah. And this is who he is. I don't see it changing either. And it's just kind of what Giants fans will have to, we're going to have to, I guess, come to terms with. One of the most disappointing things about Garrett, in addition to his overall philosophy, is that he's among the worst in the NFL when it comes to those scripted first drives. You see a lot of these OCs put together really unique scripted first drives that catch the defense off guard. They don't see a lot of it on film. It results in scores, either touchdowns, sometimes field goals. Giants first drives under Jason Garrett, and we actually saw this a decent amount under Shermer and past coordinators as well. The Giants don't do it under. I mean, they don't convert these first scripted drives under Garrett. And it's super frustrating because what does he do well right now as a coordinator? I don't know at all. I The philosophy, the individual play calls. I mean, even what you mentioned with Tony, man. I mean, the guy sees Snick six snaps all game. This, when they brought him back for that touch pass, he came onto the field. You can't just go right to him. When he's only on for a few snaps, he can't get the ball on the only ones that he's on. That makes it so obvious. And the defense is keying that when they see 89 come onto the field. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, Von Miller was on block, so that's really just bad execution, as you talked about. I don't know what happened there. They'll probably look over that in the film room and be like, well, we either didn't like scheme this upright or somebody just missed a block. But at the same time, it's just... 
it's frustrating the Giants are one of those teams that's like the tip-off team. When they bring in Tony for six snaps and he gets the ball in two of them, and they're both those same kind of plays, those either quick hitters or like, let, let Tony run a stop route. Let's see what he can do after the catch. I mean, it's just crazy. This offense, has, it's, it, it feels a lot, unfortunately, like what we saw last season. I'm not really going to give up. It's going to get a lot easier for this offense, Nick, because the schedule is about to get easier after this Washington game. I actually think that I honestly think Washington's a better offense with Heineke versus Smith. I'm sorry, not Smith. I'm thinking of last year than Fitzpatrick because Fitzpatrick turns the ball over a good amount, and Heineke has a little bit more juice both as a runner and with his arm in my mind right now. So I, I think it could be a little bit more of a difficult test, but the schedule will open up a little bit at least as far as matchups go, the defense versus Giants offense. So I think we'll see better things, but I want to get to the next topic here before we finish offense with Daniel Jones and some of the skill players. And that's the offensive line. A lot of people are talking on Twitter like, hey, the offensive line wasn't so bad. I'm not so sure that's the case. Pass protection was okay. Hard to say pass protection was great when Von Miller racked up seven pressures on his own and two sacks. And when Nate Solder looks embarrassingly bad. And when Matt Parrott looks embarrassingly bad. Like, yes, pass protection was okay to good because the guards played great. I liked what I saw. And we'll get to this in a little bit. But it might, I mean, Joe Judge said don't make too much of it. But... Ben Bredesen played 44 snaps. Shane Lemieux only played 17 despite starting. Bredesen didn't come out in the second half. And Matt Parrott played 19 snaps. Nate Solder played 43. Matt Parrott, at the end of the game, gave up that sack um, where it kind of looked like he just didn't get off the snap. But aside from that, the run game was a disaster. The Giants didn't spring a single big run in the run game despite Saquon Barkley coming back. This is the first game I've ever seen Saquon Barkley play where he kind of, to be quite honest, looked a bit ordinary, maybe shaking off the rust. But part of that is because the offensive line wasn't creating anything for him. And that's part. Remember that Jets game? <laughs> oh, yeah, the Jets game. You're right. That was I, that one I feel like was less him looking less ordinary. I feel like he had a little bit more space in this game to make stuff happen. In that game, it was like no space at all. But, man, the offensive line did not block very well at all in this game from a run-blocking standpoint, and that's part of what makes the offensive line. You can't say the Giants' offensive line looked okay or good when the pass protection's all right at best and the run-blocking was disastrous. What do you make of the offensive line in this game? The offensive line, I think it's safe to say that Andrew Thomas was much better than what some of us may have expected. He didn't get burnt, it didn't seem like, in pass protection. But you can't run the football, you're not going to be able to do that much as an offense, especially an offense like the Giants that is incredibly conservative through the air. I mean, they averaged three yards per carry, but that's with Daniel Jones having six carries for 27 yards, averaging four and a half with most of it coming on those final two 95-yard drives collectively, obviously, where it just was garbage time. So you can't really take too much from that. Other than that, Booker was four of seven. Saquon Barkley was 10 of 26. And it seemed like they didn't have that much room running the football. And this is a home team we're talking about here. You're supposed to be able to establish some sort of run, get some sort of push at the point of attack. And it just didn't seem like the Giants were able to do that. And again, I want to wait for the All-22 to see what Vic Fangio was doing. We know he's a brilliant defensive mind. And to see what actually was going on with the interior parts of this offensive line. But just from the broadcast angle, it seemed like every time they were handing the football off, it's like, oh, okay, two-yard gain. Cool. Like, I mean, what are you going to be able to do as an offense in this kind of situation, man, where you can't run the football at home against the Denver Broncos team who has they have an upgrade, I would say. Uh, on the defensive side of the football, in terms of running the football, they got Mike Purcell back. It's something me and Joe Rolls talked about on the podcast that they uh, they ended up getting him back. But at the same time, he was still worried about the mismatch between Saquon Barkley against these linebackers. It just didn't arise whatsoever in this game. Could that be Barkley knocking off the rust? Yes, it could. But at the same time, the Giants don't. The Giants haven't earned the right for us to give them any like sort of benefit of the doubt because they have not been a good football team for quite a while now. Yeah, and. It was disappointing in my mind to see what happened in the run game because they've made so much progress with that run game, it seemed like, toward the end of last season, despite just having Wayne Gallman in there, despite having no receivers to really have defenses respect the pass game. And it seemed like they started to find some plays in the run game last year that worked for them. Today, the run game just had no winning plays. There was nothing there, absolutely nothing in the run game. And once again, Daniel Jones, as we move there, Nick, I mean, I said it last. I said it a lot this offseason. That Tampa game, to me, was a blueprint that Todd Bowles put out there. And it's not just him, because obviously before that, the Steelers put that same blueprint out there in week one last season. And then some teams decided not to use it. 
But that blueprint Todd Bowles put out, I saw it a lot from the Broncos again today. Roll that safety down. Dare Daniel Jones to beat you over the top. And it's not Daniel Jones. That's my whole thing. It's not like it's just daring Daniel Jones because you don't believe in Daniel Jones. I think it's daring the entire Giants offense and Jason Garrett specifically in addition to Jones saying, look, we've seen everything you've put on tape. There's such a large sample size of you not trying to beat us downfield. So we're going to roll the safety into the box until further notice. And Daniel Jones and you are going to have to try to beat it. And how are you going to beat that with four stick routes? How are you going to beat that with all these routes breaking back to the quarterback? It makes zero sense to me, Nick. It doesn't even add up whatsoever. But once again, we saw the Broncos roll that safety down constantly into the box with one high. And it's just like, come on, like, wh- what are we watching here? What? How do you counter this? Figure it out, Jason Garrett. You're paid to do this. You're supposed to be this great offensive mind, this brilliant guy that the Giants were lucky to get as a coordinator because you were formerly a head coach. I just felt like we didn't see it. What did you make of that, the counter to that? And what do you make of this kind of constant blueprint we keep seeing now from teams who are just bringing extra defenders into the box? Yeah, they're loading up the box and daring Daniel Jones to throw the football and probably to attack deep. And it hasn't necessarily had that much success through the two years and one game of Daniel Jones's career. And I actually think Jones throws a pretty good deep ball. I think that ball to Darius Slayton was really, really impressive. I mean, that was a ball where it was from the far hash. He threw it all the way to the opposite sideline. He threw the ball on the 22-yard line, and it was caught at the 37 on the other side. I mean, that was a a really impressive throw by Daniel Jones. So he has that in his arsenal. But for whatever reason, the Giants have a very conservative offense. I think some of it has to do with the offensive line, the lack of respect that – that uh, that really anybody that Jason Garrett has for the offensive line to to be competent enough to to block for five step drops for these long developing plays. I think that also weighs into it, but it's also like we said earlier, the nature of Jason Garrett. But for Daniel Jones, man, it, just to get into him, I mean, I, I think this game was somewhat of a microcosm of Daniel Jones because there were some plays that were impressive, and then there were some plays that you want to rip your hair out. Or some plays where he just locks on to targets and doesn't come off them. That wheel route to Saquon Barkley yep. in the red zone, Saquon Barkley ran the wheel. There were three defenders there, and he just locked onto him, eyed him down, and still threw the football. It should have been intercepted. Daniel Jones didn't throw an interception in this game, Dan. He could have threw like three, yep. definitely two, possibly three. And that, that's what's frustrating and maddening about Daniel Jones because you see that throw that he made to Darius Slayton from the far hash. That's an NFL big boy throw right there. You saw the... I think it was a third down where he identified the matchup, Sterling Shepard against Josie Jewell. I think it was like a third and eight, and he ended up converting it when he was like, okay, that's the matchup right there. Quick processing. No, he's going to be open on this slant. I'm going to throw the football. I'm going to hit my back foot and get rid of it. Exactly what he did. And you're like, okay, good job, Daniel Jones. That's quick processing. Pre to post snap. He's putting things together. Then you see him lock on the targets. Then you see him try to force footballs into places that they have no reason to be. And then you just see him fumble the football, and you're like, Oh, that's why it's so frustrating, this roller coaster of Daniel Jones. And he doesn't have those elite type of Josh Allen traits that kind of make the roller coaster worth riding, which is unfortunate. And I'm not totally abandoning Daniel Jones right now, but it's the reality of the situation. A lot of this stuff needs to be cleaned up. It's year three. We we can't keep seeing the same mistakes that we've been complaining about on this podcast for the last two years. And that's exactly right. You said it perfectly, and it was a great analogy. It's a roller coaster ride that doesn't have enough of the highs. I mean, you saw tonight. Sean McVay was with Matthew Stafford looked filthy out there. I mean, he if they wanted to, they could have thrown for 450 against a real what was a really solid to good defense last season in the Chicago Bears. The first play of the game, he rolls him out on a naked bootleg to the left side. Stafford's able to snap his hips back, plant his foot, and rip a ball downfield. Yeah, it was a very impressive throw by Daniel Jones to Darius Slayton, but Dan Jones can't make that throw. I mean, that throw that Stafford made, only a few people can make. Justin Herbert can make that throw. A few, obviously Mahomes, like the real arm talent guys can make those kind of throws and snap it back like that. But when you can't make those throws and you don't have the super big highs of the roller coaster, but you still have three turnover worthy, uh, three interception worthy throws in this game. Let's call it two. I'm going to say two. We'll wait to watch back. Obviously, the Barkley wheel route was should have been picked. Um, and, you know, when he locked on to Barkley on the third and two and he took the sack, I blame that a bit on Jones and, and a little bit of Garrett as well. Just, it's just such a stupid, 
stupid third down. I mean, when it's it's crazy to me, Nick, that when the Giants get in these second and short and third and short situations, it's like Garrett works with seven yards of the field in front of him. That's where everything is working. When you have the entire field in front of you, and yet you're working with seven yard, a seven-yard box, and it makes it so easy in my mind. Like, they run this stupid design route for Barkley. It's not there. Jones is panicking. Not panicking, but he's padding, padding, looking at it, looking at it just like, ah, maybe Barkley will get open through this, and then he takes the sack. But it's like, move some routes upfield. You know, run some – use 20 yards of space. You don't need to use a seven-yard box just because it says second and two on the sat sheet. You could treat a second and two like a third and – like a second and long sometimes. Even a third and two. You see a lot of the best teams creating big chunk yard play, plays on, sec, on third and short by taking a chance because they know the defense is going to be playing in that box. It's the opposite. It's like – it's almost like a chess player. I'm trying to think of how, how, this, how I can describe this in terms that somebody might understand. But it's like – it's like when you're playing a game, Nick, and you know that – I can't really figure this out, but I'm trying to describe what it's like to call plays within that seven-yard box on second and third and short situations when everyone knows that that's where the play is supposed to go. But you get an advantage by not going where the play is supposed to go, by instead lose, you know, designing a play that attacks upfield or designing a play that attacks the deep middle of the defense. All routes that Jones throws really well anyway. Like you said, he throws good balls up the field. Why not attack those in situations where the defense isn't expecting it as often, like second and third and short? And yet, you just don't see it often enough in this offense, and it really limits, in my mind, what this offense can do. I thought Jones was okay until the fumble. I actually thought he was pretty good accuracy-wise, better ball placement than he had uh, some games last season. But red zone offense continues to be a big problem for Daniel Jones. His accuracy in the red zone is just not there. Um the, the, the third and goal, fourth and goal situation that was also an example of Jason Garrett just totally lost by calling a run play on second and goal. Absolutely had no chance of scoring. You should be taking three shots at the end zone on second and goal, um, from second and goal. Instead, they took two, but on both those passes, Nick, it was off target. There was no way for the receiver to make a play on the ball on either of those throws. And you just can't have that. You can't have two straight balls, one completely over the head, the other uh, kind of looked like a uh, like a fade stop route. Is that what that was? And just, again, uncatchable pass. Yeah, the one to Kyle Rudolph and, and Kenny yeah. Galladay in the fourth quarter. That was like, yeah, towards the end of the game. Yeah, the one to Kyle, like, it seemed like Kyle Rudolph was, was there was some sort of miscommunication with Daniel Jones on like two, two, two routes, it seemed like. And that could just be rust with the playbook. Not something you would expect from a veteran. Could be something that Kyle Rudolph thought he saw and Daniel Jones thought he saw something else. They're running routes based on the coverage and the leverage of the defense. But yeah, he didn't look he didn't look great, Kyle Rudolph. I'm not, I'm not writing him off the ship quite yet, but it wasn't the most n- inspiring performance. Neither were, were really anybody... It, in this game, I mean, this is this was a very disappointing debut. This these are the types of games that you should win. This team was what five and eleven last year. Yep, this team was not a good football team last year, and I know they got yeah. Teddy Bridgewater, who's an upgrade. Oh yeah, the Broncos were five and eleven. You're right. Wow. Who, and Teddy Bridgewater is an upgrade over Drew Locke, and I think Teddy Bridgewater looked pretty darn good in this game for who Teddy Bridgewater is. I think they did a good job getting the ball into their playmakers' hands. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton a little bit, even KJ Hamler, and then the tight ends. But you you're you're trying to have Pat Shermer's offense go up against Pat Patrick Graham's defense, and the Giants failed there. The Giants lost that battle. And I mean, football's a collective game. The offense needs to sustain more drive to keep the defense off the field, but the defense didn't do themselves any favors because they were giving up third and fourth down so easily and they couldn't play man coverage. Yeah, and I think that as far as Rudolph, I'm not trying to say I'm writing him off. I've been very harsh on him in this podcast. But when you make a win-now move like that, and it's, it's it was very, very eerily reminiscent of the Sam Beal move by Dave Gettleman in the past, where you know he thinks he has this desperate need for a tight end who can run wide stick for Garrett and who can be more of the traditional Garrett run. He likes the guy a lot, great guy off the field, has been a you know older vet, captain-type player in the locker room. But he's got a Liz Frank injury, and he has to have surgery on that Liz Frank injury. And a lot of studies that we're getting now show that it takes a full year to recover from that injury. And yet they honor the deal because they want to jam this move in. They feel like they're a win-now roster. They're loading all this cap. I mean, right now the Giants are set to have under $3 million in cap space next offseason. That's insane with what we just saw on the field this season. They have $2 million now and about $3 million next year. They can create more by dipping into future, you know, by dipping again into 2022. And again, I said all offseason, so I don't want to sound hypocritical that I was for it because I am. 
But you got to have a better product if you're dipping into the cap space. It can't be what we saw today on the field. And as far as the Rudolph thing goes, I think he'll get better. I think year two will be better for him with the Giants. He might even have to take a pay cut if he continues to look like this. I mean, he just, to me, he looks so slow out there, Nick. He didn't have any explosion um, in his game whatsoever. He wasn't getting open at all. And I will say this, though, there are positives. It's not all negatives. Colladay made some two sick catches in this game. He showed the type of upside talent he has. Sterling Shepard... Healthy as I've seen him right now, creating separation. If the Giants just let him run a lot more routes that aren't just these stupid curl stick routes, like you saw it on the bunch route where he broke to the outside, you saw it on his touchdown, which was also a good throw by Jones. I thought he ripped that ball in there, and Shepard did a really good job to high point that thing, to keep his balance, to reset his feet, to tiptoe that sideline, and then get back in for the touchdown. Shepard looked great to me today, and I think Shepard could have his biggest season as the uh, with the Giants because, man, a lot of these plays, Jones just – Looked immediately for for Shep and just didn't. That was it. He, that's who he's looking at. That's who he's going to. That's. I was going to say the same exact thing before we got out of here. I think Sterling Shepard looked quick. I think he looked smooth. I think his route running, his release, all those things from the broadcast angle looked really, really impressive to me. I mean, if he's healthy, he could definitely lead this team in targets over Kenny Galladay, who's going to be more of that deep threat. I love the fact, even though, you know, we bash Jason Garrett and, and he he deserves it, but I do love the fact that even in garbage time down the stretch of the game, we saw some deep digs, something we wish we saw down the stretch of last season, which we didn't see that much of. Featuring Kenny Galladay, man, that one catch where he extended away from his frame and, and just, I don't even know how he made that catch with yeah. his fingertips and brought it in. That was really, really impressive. Insane catch. Just an unbelievable catch by him. Absolutely. So, I mean, like, the, Darius Slayton's one where it's like, yeah, he made that big 42-yard catch. That's all well and good. But he also had a couple balls where I thought he could have caught them. They might not have been the best throws, but, like, you expect an NFL receiver to come down with them, and he didn't. To me, it's like... I don't know, man. You have these three receivers, right? I think Sterling Shepard's just an uber-efficient receiver who is incredibly underrated. Galladay's that big play, that big X that we always talk about. And Slayton, man, I just wish he was a little bit more reliable. I, I don't know if, if you agree with me on that, but like, I, sometimes I come away just thinking, like, oh, you should have caught that football, man. I think I can agree with you on that. I think he hasn't been what I expected him to be. I mean, because we, we went over it, that, that rookie year film. He was... He looked like he was starting to take a massive jump when it came to the separation off the line of scrimmage, which is those really good, quick releases that were creating a lot of separation fast. We're not seeing that as much often. We didn't see it as much often last year. We thought maybe it's the injury. We didn't see it as much today, or at least Jones didn't see it. And we'd have to look at the tape to know that for sure. Obviously, we can't make that declaration now. But aside from that, you're right. There are still some mental lapses with this game, and it just doesn't look like it looks like with Galladay or a fully healthy Shepherd when it looks, you know, you just don't see that, like you said, that next level NFL, I don't want to say NFL caliber, but just, you know, that next level of receiver play. And I do fit Shepard into that billing because, and obviously Galladay's proven this with the Lions, but I do fit Shepard into that billing because Shepard when healthy looks a lot like he did today. And he looked awesome today. He was creating a lot of separation. He was high pointing catches, was didn't drop a pass, created a lot of yards after contact in an offense that, is basically designed to minimize yards after contact as far as I'm concerned. And so those are the positives there. Obviously, the interior line played well. I'm really excited to see Ben Bredesen, man, because I think the Giants found an immediate upgrade over Lemieux there. I'm really excited to see Will Hernandez because I thought there was one play that I saw on, on the broadcast where Hernandez just in fast production just destroyed his guy, put him on the ground. It was awesome to watch. And overall, I thought he looked – I mean, there wasn't too much pressure coming from – around him, around Gates, anywhere on the interior. So that those are things I'm excited to watch when we get to the film. I remember when Slayton, when the Giants played the Vikings 2019, when Slayton released off the line of scrimmage against Xavier oh. Rhodes and got him completely flipped and turned around. Do you remember that play? That was play? a great play. I know that exact play, yep. Uh, yeah, that was uh, good – Good times on a on another down year, but uh, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm too. I'm I'm really looking forward to the all twenty two of this. Did you see the one play though? Just just because we're trying to get you know a glass half full type of uh, approach, just at the end of this podcast here, the one play where Devonte Booker absolutely oh, yeah. annihilated. I think it was Malik Reed. <laughs> it was the touchdown play. It was the touchdown to Shepard play. It was the touchdown to Shepard play, and that was a really good. Uh, that's what. That's one thing that we wanted to see. We, we brought it up on a couple podcasts from Jason Garrett in order to kind of take the pressure off of either Matt Parrott, Nate Solder, and Andrew Thomas, have that running back chip when he releases, just have him chip. And that's all that was. That was a chip. That was a full bag yeah. of chips, bro, because he put that dude on the deck. You nailed it. I mean, that was 
fun to watch him chip. And he, he, you know, he came off Randers route. <laughs> so it was fun to watch. I thought Jones did a good job on that play too. Cause he kind of worked, you watched, he kind of worked with his eyes to Shepard there, which you want to see a lot more of from Daniel Jones, a lot less locking on and a lot more of that. Cause like, like you said before, like you brought up a great example of where Jones was decisive in his pre-snap window and ripped that slant to Shepard in there, which was great. It's all good and well. But that's not really the problem with Jones. When he is very decisive pre-snap and what he thinks he sees, but when it's not there, that's when he runs into the problem. He, he and and so you need to see a little bit more of what we saw in that touchdown. That was definitely a positive though from Jones. It, it's that Dan, and it's also so like NFL play callers and, and just in general when you're when you're calling plays on offense, you have one primary route. Like, look, you want to look. This is your first read right here. This is you know this is a route that we don't run that often with this personnel, and that was that wheel route, right? We we don't the Giants don't run right. wheel routes all that often. It's something we want them to do maybe a little bit more often, and they utilize Saquon Barkley on that route, and when. I feel like Jason Garrett calls those plays where there's those specific routes that should work against a certain pre-snap look, and then it doesn't work post-snap. Jones just locks onto it, dude, and that's what sucks because he has to know to come off that and get to his second read or get to the check down before he gets nailed. And just locking onto it and being like, you know what, I could force this and throwing it, and then right when he throws it, his butthole probably just clinches up right away because he's like, oh shit, I shouldn't have thrown that football. Luckily, it wasn't an interception, but like those types of plays, Dan are going to cause mistakes. They're going to lead to interceptions. And he's at a point in his career where he has to know that I can't do that. I can't continue to make that mistake. I've made that mistake so much in my first and second year. I'm in my third year now. I can't lock on to my first read. He did it a couple times in this game. And again, I, I don't think Jones played terribly today. I really don't. But that is one thing I want to see him definitely work on. I'm excited to get to the all 22 to see exactly what happened on the back end of that play, but you, you can't try to force the football in that situation. Yeah. Especially in the red zone, bro. We just saw, we just saw him turn the football over in preseason. Right. And that's in a similar situation. Exactly right, Nick. And it, it's tough because it's like, I just want him to quit. It has to be so fast. Like when it's not there, a lot of times he's waiting for it to get open. No, no, just, I want someone, a coordinator. This should be Jason Garrett's job. Really? Like, God's sake, Jason Garrett to just drill it in his head. Jason Garrett's so focused on, you know, don't turn the ball over, don't turn the ball over. And yet we have three turnover-worthy throws and a, and a fumble in this game, despite his, his focus on this. And now I know he's not going to design zone read run. I'm just so confident that Garrett's going to go the opposite way after this Jones fumble, like too scared to run with Jones after that, which is such, such bad coaching from another standpoint. But because that's, you know, what he does, I think he should be pounding it in Jones's head like, Listen, when that first read's not there, just go off of it immediately. It doesn't matter. Don't worry if it would have gotten open in a little bit. Go off of it. Try to find something else. Because if you start to look faster for something else, you're going to have a better chance of getting to something else that works before the protection breaks down, before you're forced to flee the pocket, before worse happens. You get sacked and you lose the fumble. And so that's just something that's so important to the Giants moving forward. Um, and, yeah, I did confirm it, Nick. The Giants have lost all four opening games in the Dave Gettleman era. Terrific stat. It's actually their fifth straight opening loss, and they've lost 10 of their last 11 week ones. It just, it sucks. It sets such a bad tone for the season, unfortunately. 10 of 11. That's, that's wild. But I do remember like 0-6 starts and stuff like that in the middle 2000s because I was like ripping my hair out by that point. I mean, the Giants have basically been 1-6 or 1-7 under Gettleman every year, haven't they? Um. Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to think back to 2018, the first year when they lost to Jacksonville, I believe it was in week one, and what actually happened in the next couple games. But either way, they haven't been in playoff contention. Yeah, it's not just playoff contention. It's like, yeah, because last year they ended up bouncing their way into playoff contention, obviously, the yeah, division yeah. or whatever. But it's just when you start one and six or one and seven, it's it's you're just totally out of it. Like that season they actually started, it looks like, one in seven, the Giants started in 2018. So, you know, that was the year they traded for, was that the year they traded for Leonard Williams? Or was the next year? It might've been that year. No, that was 2019. But it was another year where they were out of it by the eight game point. I mean, they got to get better here. I think they will. I would leave it on saying this, uh, Nick. I do think that things are going to get better for this team based on the schedule and based on the defense. Uh, the matchup, the offense is going to get a little bit better. Matchups moving forward. Um, so I'm actually not as pessimistic after this game as I know a lot of people are. I mean, my brother, I had to talk him down off the ledge. He was so excited going into this game. I tried to tell him last night, don't bet the Giants. A lot of my friends asked me, should I bet the Giants? It felt like a, a really good bet 
for them, you know, getting three at home. So don't do it because right now the only thing I can confirm about this game is that the Broncos have a much better offensive line than the Giants. And I thought that played a factor, by the way, and why Teddy was able to do what he was able to do in this game. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not giving up yet, Nick. Where are you at? I still feel like things are going to get a lot better for the Giants. I obviously, unfortunately, don't see a massive ceiling, and that could lead to much bigger discussions when it goes going forward. Like, what, like you know, as a, as a roster builder, as a, you know, what you're hoping the Giants do from a management standpoint, yeah, do you really want to go forward with a team that has like an 8, 9, 10 win ceiling, or do you not? But I do think that this team is going to look a lot better moving forward. I have, I have some confidence in that, Nick. Yeah, Dan, I mean, there's 16 more games, and the schedule softens up a little bit. This is not a jump-off-the-bridge type of moment. It's a very disappointing debut. It it, it does definitely, like we say, doesn't inspire any sort of hope, nor should it. But this is still a long season, and a lot can transpire from one week to the next, let alone over the course of an entire season. So the Giants, I mean, it, it definitely wasn't encouraging. I mean, hopefully they can go to the drawing board. I mean, if you want to really think about it from a positive perspective, you can say, hey, the Giants haven't had Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney, Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, or any of these guys healthy in camp. You know, they're just gelling together. They haven't worked together. You can make all of those excuses, but at the end of the day, they kind of are excuses. I think there's some merit to it, but... I don't really have that much trust in Jason Garrett. I think you nailed it when you said that the ceiling isn't all that high, but that doesn't mean the Giants can't win football games. If I were to put a bet on it now, I think the Dallas Cowboys, although they lost, I think they have to be the front runner for this division. But there's still a lot of football to be played. A lot of football to be played. I don't think we can totally count out the Eagles who had a really good week, first week as well. Looked much better on defense mm-hmm. than I expected them to look. I think ultimately we'll have a lot of conversations moving forward regardless of where the season goes unless – Jones takes a massive step forward from what we saw. And so and it's going to have to work with Garrett. I think ultimately what I'm looking for is kind of what Sean McVay is looking for. He mortgaged a lot of that Rams future. They traded a lot for an older quarterback in Stafford because he knew that without having a talent like that at quarterback, the limitations are there. He's not winning the Super Bowl. He got there once and the offense completely bogged down and Belichick just was able to outcoach him by <laughs> in a grinded out style win without much offense of his own because of the limitations. And today they asked Sean McVay, what was it about Stafford that allowed him to complete that touchdown pass to Van Jefferson, which in my mind was one of the best touchdown passes of week one. He said, I think it was a great job by him being able to flip his hips and make an unbelievable throw. I think that's kind of one of those things he's gifted. He's got a great ability to be able to change his arm slot and make all types of throws, short, intermediate, down the field. You're not limited in anything you can call in the pass game with a guy like Matt Stafford. And that's my goal for this Giants team to find a quarterback. And I'm not saying it won't be Jones. It can't be Jones. I'm saying so far he has shown that it can't be him. He can still change that narrative. But as of now, I still am in the mindset of find a quarterback that allows you as a coach to not be limited in anything you can do in the passing game. Because when you're not limited in that standpoint, you can call an unbelievable game. You can make it ridiculously hard for even the best DCs, the Patrick Graham, whoever you want to call him, Big Banjo, whoever you consider the best DCs in the world, Brandon Staley's to have a good time and to have success. I mean, again, this Bears defense was good last year. They looked hopeless today, and I think we're going to see a lot of games like that from this Rams pass offense now that McVay has himself a Stafford-level talent. So, again, we'll see what happens moving forward. We want to we want to, we want to take this time to thank everyone, by the way, for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter podcast, quick reaction pods. Obviously, we wish we could come to you with a little bit better news. We wish we could be talking about a victory tonight, but – Stick with us. Short week, short turnaround. We're hoping to get the All-22 fast so we can get that out and then get to this Washington recap. Nick, anything else you want to leave off on tonight? No, I just hope that Game Pass provides us the All-22 because that's been an issue throughout preseason. They said they're going to rectify it either week one or week two. But if there isn't an All-22 review, it is not because of myself or Dan not wanting to grind the film because trust me we're eager to get to it we just need game pass to supply that exactly and game pass step it up give us what we're looking for we got a long way to go we want to see what happened we want to see if the Giants can turn this thing around fast all right everybody else have a great rest of your week and we will talk to you soon with the all 22 breakdown keep those iTunes reviews and ratings coming had a few new ones coming in. Not going to get to them on the quick reaction pod, but we will get to them shortly. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.